Well, you might be wondering why there's a torch on uh, with me this morning. You're going to find out here shortly, as I believe it's going to illustrate a powerful lesson of understanding the Holy Spirit's work in our life. I got to say right off the bat that God did something special in our first service this morning. If you were here, you know. But I don't know, there was such an expectation, a level of faith that was here. I got to say, too, that if um, you got here a little early, you would have seen probably about eight, five or six parking spots filled with uh, the White Horse Revival Church that was here this morning. They're a biker church, and they were here visiting the Ark in northern Kentucky. And so they were on their Harley cruisers and came into church and just brought a fire of God with them and encouraged us and and I, I don't know, I can't put my thumb on it just yet, but the Holy Spirit really deposited something in our church this morning and really did a great work. But I believe it's because of what the season we're in, what God is wanting to do to empower you, to equip you, to unleash the gospel. And so we're in part two of this series this morning, uh, just to bring everyone up to par and up to date. Last week, uh, we did really a teaching where we talked about the gospel cycle. We talked about how we're all in this place of brokenness and we have to turn and believe and allow King Jesus to capture our heart. And as King Jesus captures our heart, we then go to this place of being restored to God's perfect design. And in that place of God's perfect design is where growth and where maturity takes place, where the presence of God begins to deal with us and remove the things of our flesh out and off of our lives. And as we're then being restored to God's perfect design, then he commissions us, and this is where it brings us in the series, to then go and do as Jesus did, to walk as Jesus walked, to be empowered, to be fueled by the Holy Spirit, to unleash the gospel. So y'all need to talk to me this morning. Answer me, are you ready to unleash the gospel in this place? Well, I believe that the Holy Spirit is putting his hand on our church. He's anointing us to do that very thing. And so I just want to really encapsulate again of what the gospel is and what it emphasizes. It says this, it says that Jesus takes upon himself our humanity in order to purify, in order to heal, and in order to illumine and transfigure us. We are saved from something which is death, sin, our spiritual enemy, the devil, and then in order to be saved for something. So you're not just saved from something, but the power of the gospel is understanding we are saved for something. And that for something is union and it's communion with God. Our song this morning, Let There Be Freedom, Michelle was really prophetically declaring to the prodigal nature in us that come back to communion, those areas we have stopped trusting God, come back. And so we're saved for union and for communion with God. This union and communion with God is a journey of ever-deepening love that begins in this life and because God is infinite, continues forever. I said last week in regards to salvation is we're just not saved from hell with this ticket or this fire insurance, but the Holy Spirit wants to get into our everyday lives and keep the hell and save us from the hell of the enemy. Jesus said he has come to destroy the works of the devil that he wants to destroy the works of the devil in your life, then empower you to go and then do the same. And so I wanna introduce you to a prayer. I've mentioned it in the past, but this is known as St. Patrick's Breastplate. It's a, a powerful prayer of the early church. 
of, uh, that he introduces and really his life mission. It's the same St. Patrick that we celebrate in March. Uh, but I wanna introduce this prayer to you is because I believe is where I wanna really set us up and where we're gonna go toward the end of the service to really unleash the gospel in our lives. But this is a powerful prayer I would encourage you to incorporate in your prayer life because it's all about getting Christ around you, getting him in you, getting him to the right and to the left, that our lives be consumed with who he is. And as our lives are consumed with who he is, the things of this world, the things of our flesh, the sin nature begins to die, begins to fall off. And like the hymn says, the things of this world begin to grow strangely dim. That's the place God desires for us to be. So Sean, if you would put this up, I wanna read this to you, known as St. Patrick's Breastplate, but here's what it says. It says, Christ be in the eyes of all who see me. Christ in the ears of all who hear me. Christ in the mouth of all who speak of me. Christ be in the hearts of all who love me in the minds of all who think of me. Christ go before me and behind me. Christ be above and beneath me. Christ be on my right and Christ be on my left. Let's all say this together. Christ be my all. This is my heart for you this morning is that Christ would be your all in all that any place of our lives, that the fire of the Holy Spirit that doesn't look like him, because fire has a way of purifying, that you would allow that refining fire to refine you. And as you pray this, you'll begin to see, because here's the thing with unleashing the gospel that we have to know, is that we have to be intentional disciples, right? And when we wake up, we have to have an intentionality, a discipline to say, Christ to be in me, Christ to be all around me. That you have to begin to see things through the lens of the gospel that today I know that Christ, that the Holy Spirit is going to lead me into situations that need healing. He's gonna bring people into my life that need encouragement, that I need to be prepared and be ready to share the gospel in every situation. And so when you begin to pray like that and you begin to be intentional, God has a way of positioning you to preach the gospel. Now we've established as well that the gospel isn't a five-piece suit and in the four walls of the church, but what we're gonna see in order to unleash it, that God gives the five-fold ministry to equip you to go do the work of the ministry in your worlds, in your fears, in your spheres, in your places of influence, predominantly your families and your homes. But I want you to see what this scripture says, what Paul is imploring us this morning in Ephesians 4. Verse one, it says, therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you, here it says, I urge you to live a life, to lead a life worthy of the calling you have received. So Paul is encouraging us today. He's begging us, he's urging us to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. How many of you know you have a calling, you have a purpose, you have a destiny attached to your life? And so Paul is saying that this destiny, the vocation of it may look different, but it all encompasses preaching the gospel wherever you're at, living the gospel, living in communion with Jesus. And so as I was reading this, I began in, in my quiet time, the Spirit of God just began to stir in me. I began to ask this question, as I'm sure we all do with God, is God, what do you expect of me? Anybody ever asked that question before? What do you expect of me? 
in this situation? What do you expect of me in my walk with you? What is your expectation on my life? Because if you've ever had an expectation of someone and they haven't lived up to that expectation, then what happens? You get kind of disappointed, you get discouraged. And so my heart is, and just in my raw, humble prayers, God, what is your expectation of me in this season? Well, I think when we ask that same question of saying, God, what is your expectation of us to unleash the gospel? If you know the word of God, he's very loud and clear of what that expectation is. The thing we need to understand and know as well is the essence of Christianity is to be missional. The essence of, Christian, of, any, of Christianity is to be on mission, that we're on mission, that it's not just to stay within us, but we're to take it everywhere we go. So look what 1 Timothy 2.4 has to say as it shares of what the heart of God is for salvation to unleash the gospel. 1 Timothy 2.4 says this, it says, who desire, he desires all men to be saved and to the, come to the knowledge of the truth. He desires for all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Secondly, we see this word knowledge. I wanna bring it into context here as well. Hosea 4, 6 speaks of this truth of knowledge. It says, my people are destroyed. You've heard this for what? Lack of knowledge. When you really get into the study of understanding the word knowledge, it begins to go much deeper than what meets the eye. You and I probably, when we hear the word knowledge as I do, is you begin to just think information. You begin to think data. That when you hear the word knowledge, it's okay, I need more information. But see, the gospel goes far beyond, your relationship with God goes far beyond getting information that God loves me. God wants to use me. But understanding knowledge in its truest sense from the book of Genesis all the way to Revelation, what the church would teach is knowledge is something known as profound intimacy. So when you see knowledge, when you read uh, in the story of creation in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and you see the word knowledge used, it's as though God is saying here, especially in the context of Hosea 4, 6, that my people are destroyed for lack of relationship, for lack of profound intimacy with me. That knowledge goes far beyond, again, what we hear in the data we see, but he's saying, my people are destroyed. The gospel will not live and breathe unless man pursues me, as I'm pursuing them, that they would come after me. That God's heart is for us to have this real living, breathing relationship with him. That this is the knowledge that God desires us to have. As we begin thinking about this and thinking about unleashing the gospel, we see in, in Romans 10, that uh, verse 13, that Paul was encouraging that unless you open your mouth, unless you preach, unless you understand your scent, then the Jew and the Gentile is never going to be reached. That there is our part to play. How many of you know you have a part to play in unleashing the gospel? The Bible's full and it's very clear of it. Look what Romans 10, 13 through 15 has to say. It says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the beginning of our salvation as we have to make a decision to call on the name of the Lord. But then it gets practical here. It says, now you have to begin, when you call on the name of the Lord, us as believers and as disciples, as Christians, we then have to take it and preach it and live it. It says, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? He says, how, and how, 
shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? So it's saying, if they're not believing, if they haven't heard of it, then he goes on to say, how shall they hear without a preacher? You've heard it said before that the Bible, most people will never get into the Bible, but what they will see is your life, that your life speaks louder than any words that the world will ever see. It says, and how shall they preach unless they are sent? And here's where we see again the beauty, how beauty will save our world. It says, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace. When you begin to live in the gospel, when you begin to open your mouth to the gospel and preach it and trust God and step out in faith, they should begin to see a glow on your life, a beauty on your life. I can remember when I first met Bree, there was a glow and a beauty on her that attracted me to her. The thing is true for you and I. When we're living the gospel, there is, should be a glow on our lives. There's this great definition that came in the 1950s of really the role of evangelization. It was Catholics, Protestants, evangelicals, uh, charismatics coming together and really getting a synopsis and a heart of when the, the renewal took place in the church. They came to a conclusion of what the role of evangelization of the church would look like. And I took this just short definition from uh, my study from it, but I want to present it to you today because I believe it encapsulates of how we're to unleash the gospel. It's talking about the uniqueness of our mission as believers, it says, the uniqueness of your mission is that you would first evangelize and sanctify your world. Second, that you would engage in temporary affairs and renew them according to God's plan. Doesn't that say it all right there of what it's supposed to look like? Breaking this down and really getting into it, it really shares the importance of you first have to evangelize and sanctify your world. What is your world? It's your family. It's your marriage. It's your children. That first and foremost, parents, our role is to be evangelists, to be a picture of Christ in our home and to evangelize our very home, to evangelize our spouses. And then as we're evangelizing, there's that sanctifying uh, work of the Holy Spirit taking place and refining us and purifying us and making us into the image of Jesus. And then it says, as that's taking place in your world, then secondly, you're to engage in the temporary affairs. The temporary affairs are uh, your workplace. Temporary affairs are what you put your hand to. The temporary affairs is the restaurants you go to, the sporting events you attend, that the temporary affairs that you are engaged in, that you don't just engage in it for the pleasure of just engagement, but let's put a mission to it and say, let's begin to renew it according to what God's perfect design is. That there is a renewal that God wants to bring from heaven into earth, and that's known as the gospel. That he wants to equip you to renew that which what sin and Satan and death has destroyed, that you're to bring the kingdom of God into it, that you're to bring the healing power of God into it. That's what he wants to equip us for. And it should begin to stir you and put this mission that the gospel is bigger than you and the gospel is bigger than just what he's doing in you, but as a church, we're to be sent, as God's people, we're to be sent and to bring this power into the world. Look what Ephesians 4, 11 through 16 says. 
And this is really the purpose of the church. This is the purpose of what's taking place right now, that you would be equipped, that you would be sent, that you would be invigorated to preach the gospel. It says, so Christ gave the apostles, he gave the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Here's the reason why. Here's the reason you're hearing the word right now. It's to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. I love a quote of Augustine. He says, in regards to the shepherd of a house or the pastor of a church, he referred to himself as he pastored his church that he is a shepherd for you, but with you he's a sheep. That he's a shepherd for you, that he cares, but there's this place of he is also a sheep under Christ with you. That there should never be this big disconnect or this competition or this conflict between the lay faithful and the pastorate, the shepherd. That we are all in this together as sheep being led by the shepherd under Christ to be equipped to do the work of the ministry. Look what it goes on to say as well. It says, you're being equipped for this work of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. I pray this morning under the anointing of the Holy Spirit that you're being built up, that your faith is being strengthened, that the Spirit of God is speaking to you even right now to your situations that you're going through. It says, until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge, so we see this word knowledge again, and this word knowledge is in relationship of the Son of God. And as we're, our relationship with God is growing deeper, guess what's happening? You're becoming mature. Aren't you thankful in your baby Christian phases that you've conquered some things in your life, that those temptations, that those sins that want to so easily entangle you don't define you and, and beg you to bow to it, but you've gained victory in your life, that you have maturity? So it's saying that this is what begins to take place. The early church will even consider the church, the local church that you're a part of, it will refer to it as though it's a mother for your life. When you think about the role of a mother, what does a mother do? It nurtures, it teaches, it loves. Mothers have a way of showing such grace and such compassion. I'm telling you, this is what should be taking place in your life, this maturing. And then it says, as you're maturing, you're attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, that there is a fullness that Christ desires for you to have in your life. And it says, as you're experiencing this fullness, then we will no longer be infants. Somebody say amen. It says, you'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by the wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. You're gonna have discernment. You're gonna have wisdom. You're gonna be able to discern that is of God, that isn't of God. Instead, and here's your witness that comes into play as you're being equipped, as you're being mature. Before we share verse 15, the worst thing that can begin to take place in evangelism, in evangelism is this mindset. It's a mindset that says, I'm right, you're wrong, let me tell you why I'm right. That style of evangelism doesn't reach anybody. It actually puts you at odds and at war with someone. But here's what we're about to see here. It says this is how we're to approach and sharing the gospel and sharing the maturity that God wants to do in our lives. It says, instead of doing that, it says, speaking the truth in love, 
that we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head. So it's saying as you begin to share the gospel, you're speaking the truth of who he is, but you're doing it in love. We talked of last week that, yes, we want to have a desire to reach souls, but when it comes into the local level, the local church level, is you get the humanity with that person as well. It's not just reaching their souls and making sure they're going to heaven. Yes, that is a part of it, but you want to see their very humanity, their passions, their, their weaknesses, their strengths. You want to begin to see them become formed into the image of God as a son and as a daughter. That's what takes place in the context of what's happening right now is our souls being healed, but it's the whole person God wants to capture and to heal and to set free. It goes on to say, from him in verse 16, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament. So we all have a part to play, just as the arm and the leg and the mouth and the head. It says, it grows and it builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Here's a passage of scripture too I want to really get in your spirit is Matthew 5. We know it as being a light to the world that what God's doing in your life, your witness should be a light for all to see, that that's what we are striving for, that people see that glow of God in our life. Look what it says, Matthew 5, 14. It says, you are the light of the world. You are a city that is set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Here's where you see the command from Jesus here. It says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. I gotta illustrate it this way is practically and simply what we just read is that we see that God is the hand We're the lantern, you and I are the lantern, and the house is the world. Now, if you were here several weeks ago, you heard about my story on the grill where propane blew up in my face. That's not going to happen today. We're safe here. But I was recently using a torch when I was waterproofing with my dad. He works in waterproofing, and it was early in the morning. We were heating up all the different spots so that it would operate and flow together. And here's what's neat. When you're just in the middle of your day, you've experienced that God can use the strangest and simplest things to speak to you and communicate something to you. That's what was taking place with me when I was using a torch. So I want to share it with you this morning. Again, God is the hand, so the hand on the torch. And then the house that we just read of is the world. Now, here's the amazing thing about the Holy Spirit, and here's where we're really going to pivot from this week from this week on, from this point on in this message to the next several weeks is looking of how the Holy Spirit wants to empower you to evangelize because without him, we cannot do this. We cannot live the gospel without the Holy Spirit. He is the game changer. Anybody say amen to that? And so here's what it really looks like and here's what God just began to speak to me. As many times in our life, when we're saying, God, where are you? Why is this taking place in my life? Where is your presence in my situation and in my season? And as we're praying this, this is what it feels like. We're praying and no flame is coming. Nothing is igniting in our life. Anybody ever been here before? Maybe you're here right now. You're asking God, what is happening? What is going on? I need your presence. I need your wisdom. But you're getting nothing. 
Here's what begins to happen and what you need to understand. Again, last week as you're going in, back to God's perfect design, the two points were growth and maturity. As you're growing and as you're maturing, guess what begins to happen with this analogy for God to begin to light up your world? Is you're still asking him, but then he begins to grow you saying, well, Garrett, there's some apathy and laziness in your life. And I wanna break through that apathy and laziness. So what do I do when I hear that from God? I begin to drop on my knees, I begin to pray, I begin to examine my life, I begin to say any selfishness, anything that isn't of God, get it away from me and burn it up. Guess what happens as you begin to do this in your praying? Is we know that the Holy Spirit works in a process, right? Well, guess what? He begins to engage a little propane in your life. And here's the amazing thing. You can't see a flame, but guess what? I can hear a little propane beginning to come through to engage with the spark. See, there's times when we don't even see him moving and working, but we begin to pray and to cry out. And before you know it, you begin to hear propane. You might not see the answer. You might not see the flame just yet, but you can begin to hear his still small voice because that's how he gets to us first, is through the still small voice. He begins to move and impress upon us. And before you know it, the propane begins to come. And as you're praying, as you're growing, and as you're maturing, before you know it, you begin to see that flame. And you begin to see him as this flame is burning, burning up the laziness or the apathy or burning up the anger, burning up your pride, burning up the selfishness. We said last week, the Holy Spirit, when you're in the presence of God, is almost as though it's an irritant, that he has a way of getting the flesh off of you so that you can be all who he's called to be. And see, here's the amazing thing too. As you begin to burn, he begins, when you are stepping out in situations that he wants to use you, stepping out in faith, there's times you're gonna need a stronger flame. You're gonna need a stronger witness and he knows how to get what you need into that situation. But see, where he desires us to be is to have this controlled burn in our life that we don't let the fire die, we don't let it go, but we're to constantly be burning. And because without, when you're not burning, you're not effective, honestly. You're doing things in your own strength, you're doing things your own way. But God desires to burn consistently and faithfully in your life. This is what he wants to do. And here's where I wanna prophetically speak to you as God just begin to again stir this in me is that I feel there's some in our church and in our lives, in our, if you look at yourself, you've lost that flame. You've lost the flame of the Holy Spirit. And I believe today that he wants to rekindle that. He wants to start it up again. You might have lost your flame from a church hurt. You might have lost your flame from an offense, from bitterness, from not hearing God in your life, not seeing him move. Maybe it's uh, uh, desires and hope deferred. You name it, but something has quenched and put your flame out. Look what I want you to see here. I believe this is gonna speak to you if you're in this place of no flame. Leviticus chapter six, look what it has to say. This is the word for you this morning. It says, the fire on the altar must be kept burning. It must not go out. It says, every morning the priest is to add firewood and arrange the burnt offering on the fire and burn the fat 
on the fellowship offerings on it. It says the fire, again, this theme, the fire must kept, be kept burning on the altar continuously. It must not go out. If you go back to verse 12, you need to see this here because this is what God desires is that your fire continue to burn, that you don't go out, that you don't end up in this place. But here's what you need to see is there was an action the priest had to do. What did the priest have to do? He had to add what? The firewood. Now, when you look at the symbolism of the firewood, the firewood would, rep would represent of what Paul talks about in Romans 12, a living sacrifice, bringing yourself, bringing who you are to the altar of God. And as you bring that firewood, guess what? The fire would continue to burn. If the priest didn't bring the firewood, if it had nothing to consume, the fire would not burn. And so what we see here is a principle that we need to get deep in our spirit. If we want the continuous burn of the fire of God in our life, we have to bring the firewood to the altar. As you're bringing the firewood to the altar, this is what you need to know too, is if you go back and you read, God is the one who starts the fire. He's the one who does it. Again, he's the hand to the, to the propane. We're just this vessel, this plastic vessel. He's the fuel and he's the hand. And we have to allow him to take us into whatever house, whatever part of the world that he wants us to. But as you're adding this fire, what you need to know is he starts it, but here's the principle. It's your job and it's my job to steward it. Yeah. We're called to steward the fire that he ignites in our life. And that was the priest's job, was to steward it and to make sure that the fire would continuously burn, that it would not go out. I wanna illustrate this point as we close here. I want you to put this picture up, Sean. And this picture is frequently, frequently what I go back to. My time in Tulsa, Oklahoma at Oral Roberts University, that's the campus there. I know we have some ORU alum here. Uh, but what you're looking at is a picture of the prayer tower which sat in the middle of the campus. Now what's neat if you've never been on the campus or don't know much about Oral Roberts University is the very architecture on the campus was designed to re represent the Holy Spirit. And every time you step foot on the campus, you sense his presence there. What I want you to see through this and what you need to know about the prayer tower and how it was designed is on the very top, you'll see that there was a flame that would always burn. And on the top of the prayer tower, this flame would never go out. It would continuously burn. Here's what I want you to see. I, can remember my freshman year and I can remember going through a relationship problem or struggling with a final. You know, big problems that when you're an adult and you look back, they're not really problems in life. But I can remember I was on the seventh floor and my window looked directly at the prayer tower. I can remember one night as I was just dealing and struggling with the storm in my life and there happened to be a storm on the campus, a thunderstorm thunderstorm was happening, the wind was blowing, and I remember looking out and looking at the top of the prayer tower and seeing the flame, and seeing as the storm was blowing, the rain was pouring, the hail was falling, the lightning was striking, but the flame never went out. The flame continued to burn in the middle of the storm, and it's like God right there deposited into my spirit, say, Garrett, I got you. Trust me through this. Keep adding 
wood to the fire because when you keep adding it and there's continuous burn, the storms of life can come, but your flame will not go out. I'm telling you, this is the place that God desires for us to be in order for him to use us to unleash the gospel. Have hope this morning that if you will allow him, if you will allow him to examine your life and begin to step out in faith because the Holy Spirit is attracted to faith, he will begin to burn in your life like you've never experienced before. He's the hand. We're the lantern. And then the house is the world. He wants us to unleash the gospel, to evangelize, to sanctify, and then to renew the world around us. And I believe God wants to deposit his fire within you this morning. As you're here this morning as well, I pray that you begin to feel the Holy Spirit stirring you, that maybe, again, you identify with this. Your flame, your fire has gone out. You've walked away from God. You've stopped trusting him in areas of your life. That's where you need to take the heart of Paul in Philippians 4, where he says, in all things, I'm going to rejoice. Because if the enemy robs my joy, he robs my hope. If the enemy robs my joy, he robs my purpose. That joy is the very stabilizing thing. That's why we see in the book of Acts,